Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Robin Ayub. I'm the founder of the Localization Fireside Chat podcast channel. Um, this relatively uh, young platform has given me the and the audience an incredible opportunity to listen to the thought leaders, industry professionals, tell their stories and intriguing stories, how they get into the localization industry, and also talk about some of the trends in our industry, challenges, innovations. Uh, so if you have not done so already, and I invite you to connect with me um, by looking me up on LinkedIn or connect with our channel by liking these uh, uh, YouTube uh, videos and the podcast uh, episodes that we put out once a week. Uh, we put them, we record on Friday and we uh, publish on Tuesday. So once a week, we have a fresh new episode that is being launched with one of our uh, thought leaders in our industry. Today, I have the honor and privilege to be joined by my friend and colleague, and an industry leader, uh, Florian Fass. And Florian is the managing director of Slater, which Slater doesn't need in any introduction, but Florian is based in Zurich. Uh, he spent a decade or so in Asia before co-founding Slater in 2015. Slater is a leading source of news research and global uh, for global translation and localization and uh, language technology industry. Also, Slater's advisory practice provides independent industry analysis to sell and buy M&A and custom market research. Florian, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to the episode this morning. I really appreciate your time with me, uh, taking the time with me this morning. And I uh, want to start by asking you to tell your story. Now, I give you a little bit of a bio for, for you. Obviously, it's not uh, conclusive. <laughs> There's a lot more to be said there. And you and I go back a little way. So um, by your own words, if you don't mind, uh, let's, let's get started by saying, how did you get into the localization industry? That's a good question. <laughs> and thanks so much for having me on, uh, Robin. Really, really appreciate it. And, and congrats on, on the localization fire uh, side chat, the channel. Uh, great to see more podcasts in the industry. I think we have a lot of catch up to do uh, compared to some of the other industries. So it's great, great to be here. Uh, how did I get into the localization industry? A bit of an accident. Uh, it's it's actually quite a uh, kind of succinct anecdote, I guess. So I used to be, um, or I, I, I trained as an electrician uh, in kind of the Swiss apprenticeship system that like most of the young people go through uh, from 16 to 20, 21, like you do like a three, four year apprenticeship. And I was the trained electrician, but I'm really not talented, like in, in manual labor. So, you know, after four or five, I guess I worked six years in, in the trade. I was like, that, I, I don't see myself doing this for another 40 years. And I don't see myself advancing into some kind of engineering uh, job, right? So you could kind of move on and become like a, you know, an engineer, maybe work in an office at some day, as opposed to the construction side. Anyway, so I, I saw this uh, brochure on a friend's table about uh, a translation um, school. At the time, it was literally called the Translation Interpreter School, the, the DOTS here in Zurich. And I'm like, that sounds that sounds interesting. And I, you know, was traveling, and I like languages. Tried, you know, learned some some Spanish. Uh, was practicing my English, etc. So I'm like, well. That sounds interesting. And it didn't, there was a particular twist to it because this particular school had like an exemption for people that um, that had a particular level of Spanish and English. So they didn't need a certain other degree. It's quite technical in Switzerland. Anyway, so I saw that brochure. I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. I looked up how I can apply and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this and this uh, certificate in Spanish and English. And then I did apply and I got in. Uh, that was like way back about 20, it's over 20 years ago. 
And then I trained as a translator. Um, and, you know, we can maybe talk about uh, some of the next steps there, but trained as a translator, got hired uh, after the translation, uh, got in, getting a translation degree, got hired by a company that we then uh, worked together at CLS Communication. They sent me to Asia. And then, yeah, we can maybe talk about some of the rest. But yeah, it was a brochure that was lying around and I was thinking, well, maybe that sounds interesting. Well, excellent. Like, I mean, most of the uh, most of these uh, stories that I'm hearing, it is uh, similar to yours. Uh, and, and I know I've shared with you how I started. Um, I remember, uh, you know, you remember Larry Rogers, right? So um, absolutely. Yeah. So our, our good friend Larry was uh, traveling um, uh, from uh, Toronto to Moncton, New Brunswick, where I lived at the time. And I happened to be sitting beside him on a plane uh, going back home. I remember telling the story million times. I said, two hours uh, later flight, you know, he convinced me to go work for an industry I didn't know existed. I'm a technologist by background, as, as you already know. And um, first day on the job, I asked Larry, I says, what would you like me to do now? again? What do you guys sell? And he said, we take a content or a word by his own words, quote unquote, we take a word from one language, put it into another language. Now you go sell that. And so, <laughs> so, so uh, the world has advanced in 21 years, much, much, much faster than you know, taking a word from one language, putting it into another language is not as simple as that. Uh, we realize that now. For you, um, there is a second side to that story. Um, you know, you after you came back, I think you came back from Asia and you went through um, some um, soul searching. I don't know what you want to call it. How did Slater came about? So can you tell the story of Slater? Slater doesn't need an introduction, but I don't think many people know like how the idea came about and why did that came about like what drove you to you know must have had a void in the industry that you wanted to fill and here comes the he comes later it has something to do with sales actually because i was um when i was in asia i was uh you know head of the region in the end that was my role there for we had a, four offices uh, singapore hong kong shanghai and a small one in beijing and basically my job was mostly business development and sales, right? So I went to all of these conferences, like where our clients were, the leads were, right? The banking conference, the legal conference, the life sciences conferences. Uh, and we also advertised like online and in, in, in actually some print magazines there. And I was at some point, I was like, well, why isn't there like a website where I can get information about my own industry? Like there are, you know, there was a common sense, but it was all kind of paywalled and only the CEO had a subscription, right? And it was like, why isn't there anything where like I, as the casual, busy business user can kind of get day-to-day -day info, you know? And, 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 and so that was kind of the spark that was maybe around 2013 when I was still based in China. And we, we did advertise and we had a, a contra deal with Asia Legal Business, uh, which was um, a, well, Asia legal business. It was about, you know, basically targeting lawyers as as readers um, and, and in-house counsels in Asia. And so we would translate the magazine, um, which was the best possible advertisement for us because we, we got our best legal translators to translate it. It was basically English and Chinese bilingual. And then every time we would pitch a lawyer, you know, we would basically open the meeting by, hey, you know, here is the Asian legal business magazine and it's translated. And we actually got a byline at the end of the magazine, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the publisher of this um, magazine is, was Andrew Smart, who ended up being the co-founder of Slater. So, you know, I was like, well, when I kind of the idea uh, germinated there, I was like, well, I, I need 
somebody with media experience and Andrew brought that media experience and I brought the industry experience. And that's how we ended up co-founding, co-founding Slater. We, we didn't actually go for the print version because <laughs> that looked a bit outdated even back in 2016, 2015. But uh, yeah, we spun up the website and uh, we went live in 2015. And that was uh, about a year, about six months, probably after I came back to to Switzerland from China, it took about six months to to get it mm-hmm. online. Yeah, so that's the backstory to that. I just went to all of these conferences that had nothing to do with translation. I was the translation guy going into the conference. I was like, well, why isn't there anything like that I can yeah. get updated on? And uh, that's how it happened. So uh, no, another question, if you don't mind, uh, digging a little into it, into it. So what does the uh, Slater word mean? Is there like an abbreviation for it or does it mean anything? Translator. Oh, Slater. So you, you so you cut it. So you cut it off at an unusual place. Oh, that that's a whole other story. You don't want to know all the other names we were contemplating. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 the interesting story. How did you come up with the name, and you know where the name came from? <laughs> so that one, yeah. Well, I mean, the story was we had uh, you know a range of terrible, horrible names, and I'm so glad we didn't actually um, we didn't choose any of those uh, and actually spend a bit of time. Uh, you know, finding something better like Slater, which, you know, obviously has a, a connection to the translation industry. Uh, but uh, I, I didn't come up with it myself. I actually uh, posted it on, at the time, I think it was Odesk. Like, I don't know what it's called today, Upwork. So I'm like, hey, yeah. you know, I've got this idea. Can, can somebody like can, can give me 10 ideas? And I think I spent like $200 and some freelancer got back with 10 ideas and Slater was one of them. I'm like, that's it. Right, because yeah, yeah. uh, she, she cut a lot of words that were like language related at an unusual, um, you know, position, and that one like resonated. And I checked, and unfortunately, the, the domain name was taken. Um, so Slater.com. I mean, Slater is it's an unusual spelling, also of the name Slater, like Christian Slater with an E. So there is a few Slaters with an O out there, like an English yeah. surname. And so some Slater at some point bought that domain ended up being owned by somebody in Indonesia and I had to haggle and I bought it for a thousand dollars back in 2015. So uh, it's a good domain. Yeah. No, thanks for the interesting story. I didn't know, like I wouldn't have guessed it to be honest with you because it could have made, it could have meant a bunch of things an abbreviation for something else. Uh, I was, this is where my main mind was going. Uh, the S it's must 50, 50. Yeah. <laughs> it's about 50, 50 people are like, obviously it's translator. And then that 50% is like, what does it mean? Well, it's translator, but Cut there, there right? I'm on the, the other fifty. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, and thanks, thanks for that. I really appreciate it. So, what is like, where, what is the status of Slater now? Like, as as you know, today, uh, you know, you, like everybody, like every entrepreneur, you start, uh, you start from fresh, from zero, and you go through a progression, and you are at a certain stage right now that you're probably much different than when you started uh, in two thousand. And 13, as you mentioned earlier. Um, so we're, we're, can you give us a little bit of an update on what it, where is the status right now? What is the status right now for Slater? Sure. So we're a team of uh, 15 people right now, um, you know, working with also a fair amount of uh, external contractors, researchers. The people that we work with are, they're very experienced and they're, they have quite special expertise in, in, in lots of these areas. And the localization is very complicated. So, well, currently we have, um, four pillars of the business. One would be the content that you're seeing on the website. That's mostly free. Some of it is paywalled, but mostly free. Then we have the research side of the business, which is um, uh, some of the reports that we're publishing. So we have like big reports, you know, the the most recent one is like 150 page industry market report that covers everything from A to Z. 
Um, and then we have events, which used to be in-person pre-COVID. Then we did about a dozen uh, remote conferences, which were really successful. And now we're about to go back to in-person in October again with uh, SlaterCon Zurich. Um, and then we have advisory. And advisory is buy and sell side M&A. So basically, if somebody wants to buy an LSP or an LSP wants to sell, they can come to us and we help them find either buyer or seller. Uh, or, and we might speak about this later, there's a bunch of um, investors that are looking to invest in the space, venture capital, private equity, and everything in between. And we help them understand the industry better. And, you know, eventually if they end up buying, help them, you know, look through what the company does, do something like called like commercial due diligence, technical due diligence. Uh, so yeah, so content, research, events, and advisory. That's kind of the four pillars of the business at the moment. And, and um, so... You are at 15 people now. You Obviously, you're a well-recognized voice in the industry. Was there a, a period as you're starting the company, like everybody else, uh, have you seen any challenges and those challenges? How did you overcome them? And what do you recommend for people, not necessarily who's starting a Slater-like kind of a kind of an, 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 an industry uh, channel, but anybody who's going through an entrepreneurial uh, sort of a soul search and I want to start my own company, what is the pitfalls that you overcame that you probably recommend for others to pay attention to? That's a great question. It was all very incremental in our case. Um, we, I think what one of the challenges is generally to stick to your original vision without being completely rigid, right? If you build a business like what we do, which is uh, not like a technology business, like a SaaS business or something that's like VC funded and it needs to scale like within, you know, a year or two, otherwise it dies. I mean, it's, you know, it's basically an SME. It's a, it's an advisory consultancy. It's, it's a content firm. So we, we were able to do, to grow quite uh, well on an incremental basis. So there weren't any major hiccups. The real challenge is to um, keep the content fresh to stay um, really up to date on the industry and to hire people who are as passionate as you are, uh, you know, as, as as we as founders are uh, about this particular line of business, because not everybody is, right? So it's no. it's kind of a niche, It's um, but it's fascinating, especially now with AI and all of that. So really the challenge is to uh, find the right people be uh, and then generate enough revenue to retain those people, because those people are sought after everywhere, right? I mean, okay. if you have a, a knowledge in this industry, production knowledge, you were with an LSP, like with a language service provider, you maybe were on the buy side, you know, all the ins and outs. I mean, you have a lot of options. So to be able to, you know, uh, hire these people and retain them, that, that that's a bit of a challenge. And then also the global nature uh, was a challenge, remains a challenge. Now it's something that's a lot easier now than maybe was even four or five years, maybe five, six years ago with all these tools, right? But I mean, how do you keep a team globally engaged and, and collaborative and, and work together? But we we never really had like a make or break moment, I think. It was fairly steady um, kind of growth so far. Which is the, um, the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, uh, I want to say the one of the benefits of working in a knowledge-based industry where um, you know, you don't need buildings, you don't need infrastructure, yes. huge infrastructure to put together. Um, if you've got an idea today and you've got, you know, you, a little bit of a know-how, there's a lot of support around it. You can, as you mentioned earlier, how you got to the uh, Slater Award, uh, you know, you can draw from a lot of expertise who currently work in remote. They don't need to be 
full-time employees of your company. They probably can be remote, you know, part-time, unique as a needed basis kind of thing. So uh, that knowledge-based industry, which we're hosting a panel on this one, on this channel coming up, uh, we're hosting a panel discussion on the knowledge-based industry, which I think this is where the localization industry fits under that umbrella of the knowledge-based industry. And we need to, I, I personally, um, I think on the, on the localization side, that's that part of that metamorphosis, if you will, of the localization industry is to break down some of those, you know, walls around the localization being unique kind of thing and put it into the space of that knowledge-based industry, especially the advancement of all the technologies that we're, that we're seeing right now. So um, based on this one, can you comment a little bit on where does the localization industry fit you know, I know where we, you know, 20 years ago where the knowledge, the, the localization industry was fitting. Everybody was thinking like we're unique, we're special, nobody else can do what we do. And today with everything that is being afforded op- on, um, on, you know, open source kind of a, kind of an arrangement, you know, the, the genie's out of the bottle, basically. So we either play ball with what we have in front of us or we just, some people are going to go packing, I guess. Correct. I think... One thing that if you look at it really in kind of a decade with the, the lens of like decades, I think it went from being something maybe 20 years ago that was quite contained and you could relatively easily draw the borders around like, okay, this is the translation bit of the language industry. And this is the kind of localization testing and the localization technical support part of the the language industry. To now, now in 2023, it's really like it's grown tremendously. So the pie has gotten a lot bigger, but it's it's very hard to um, kind of determine like what what do we actually mean when we talk about the localization industry? What is it, what is included? What is kind of adjacent? Uh, and what what is not right? That's why also some of these market estimates that many people rely on and come to us, come to Nimsy, come to CSA are quite different because you know mm-hmm. we. Um, we take a bit of a narrow view, others take a, a much larger view of the industry. But um, so for example, like is AI dubbing still part of the localization industry? Like, you know, there's like maybe 150 more or less sophisticated AI dubbing companies out there now. I'm probably exaggerating, but um, yeah, broader point is where where do we stand? How does it fit? I think the edges are, I mean, it's it, the pie has grown much larger. It's a lot harder to put your finger on what actually is uh, kind of the core of the localization industry. And it's really adopting AI, um, has adopted it over the past five years, uh, like almost no other industry. And that's something that many people here underestimate, like how far we, and I'm referring to we as kind of maybe the the traditional part of the translation localization industry, how far we have adopted AI. And AI is, you know, machine translation is AI at the end of at the end of the day. I mean, actually a lot of the origins of today's, you know, even of ChatGPT is actually from machine translation research, right? So we have adopted this to a degree that very few other industries have, and we're operating on like, you know, 80, 90% AI driven workflows. So yeah, it's it's certainly a fascinating industry. It's a fast evolving industry, and you want to be, you want to make sure that you're up to date and you're not like just stagnating. I mean, that's true for many industries, but in this case, you might miss the boat completely, and some clients may just pull back from you at at some point, and you're just not going to be competitive anymore. So let's take that a step further. The um, the advancement of <clears throat> utilization of AI and the variety of AI um, uh, application in our industry. 
And you mentioned earlier that, you know, you deal with investors and people who are coming to our industry, trying to um, figure out if there's an opportunity for them to make some money. How is this now uh, being viewed that uh, extra utilization of technology in our industry? You know, if I was an investor coming in and I'm seeing this, this is a huge transformation. What does that mean in terms of revenue, in terms of profitability? Is there still opportunity here? Yes or no? Great question. And something that it really depends at what stage these investors are in understanding the industry. So initially they're all very skeptical and they're like, okay, well, this is going to get automated like in the next couple of weeks. Right. I mean, translation, it's basically a solved use case. Like what, what are we doing here? Right. And there's, there's Steve Bell, there's Google translate is Microsoft translator. But then when they're looking a little bit closer to seeing, well, but there is like these, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 sizable language service providers and they're still alive and they're still healthy and they're still generating their 5, 10, 15, 20% uh, profit margins, right? They're, it's, it's a very healthy environment. So what's going on here? Why haven't these guys all been disrupted? So they start, they start digging in and then usually they overcome that. Um, hurdle where they're like, well, this is all going to get disrupted. And they uh, feel that they, that the technology is an enabler rather than a full disruptor. And as I said before, like a lot of these uh, language service providers have, have embraced this, have include, have incorporated it and they're actually helping their clients, um, you know, deliver these workflows because clients are busy. It's complex. How do you integrate all these tools in your workflow? So LSPs are there to help. So back to the investor, they go from like, okay, this is going to get disrupted to, oh, this is interesting. Like maybe there's an opportunity there to then realizing, well, if you're actually a leader and an early adopter and you're well at executing um, and implementing these AI models in your day-to-day workflow, and you have a great sales force and you understand your client's business, there is a big market, a big addressable market that's not going to go anywhere. And is in fact, probably because of AI may actually increase a lot because you know, people's expectations at uh, regarding the quality and the volume of multilingual content is only going up. Like people expect mm-hmm. everything to be multilingual these days, mm-hmm. but you know, there's always going to be a service element to that that the LSPs can deliver. So, and as they're going through, then they, you know, some of them end up uh, investing. You know, yeah. So based on this one, and you know, I'm not sure uh, if the number is correct, but I heard somewhere that there is around 19,000 companies around the world providing translation services. Um, uh, and uh, that tells me with all what's going on on the automation side, on the uh, AI side of the world, that some of those will remain, some of them will not remain unless they do few things to change. So, or new companies will pop up because- uh, A lot of new companies. Yeah, yeah so th- this technology space is really energizing the creative ideas of entrepreneurs to say, "Hey, I see an opportunity here. I'm going to put a, I'm going to put something together." And I, and it's encouraging. Also, if you agree with me, I don't know. I've seen an example because I did the uh, an interview with Michelle Lopez on uh, the previous last week. Actually, it was published last week, and it talks about you know the transformation of E2F from you know what a he what I call what he called it legacy to you know a uh, providing uh, services that. Slightly connected, but not really, you know, we're talking about NLP and a few other things. So they went through that transformation of saying, okay, we have something here, but we may have something bigger here and bigger opportunity here. We need to go through through this 
transition phase, you know, that bridge that gets you from where you are. You, you need to sustain your legacy business. You, there's no, no question about that. There will always be customers for that, but there will always be an opportunity in the brand new thing. So uh, what are your thoughts around that transformation, I, I would say, between um, what you currently have and keep an eye on it because the revenue generation is coming from that and you got to take profitability and invest in new ideas. So that's going to come from somewhere, basically the legacy business. Absolutely. Actually, we wrote a report on uh, what we call adjacent businesses. So we the report's called um, Finding Growth in Adjacent Services. And what we list there would be things like uh, audio description, captioning, you know, linguistic consulting, data for AI. That's probably what, uh, uh, what Michelle referred to. Game testing, staffing, language assessment, transcription. I mean, it could go on, right? Multilingual SEO, sign language interpreting all of these things. So what a lot of these language service providers, even if, I mean, if they're coming from the core activity of providing translation localization services, what they're extremely good at is um, solving very specific uh, problems, language problems, language challenges for very, very demanding clients using both in-house, but uh, mostly external partners, right? So they understand how to source these qualified linguists or experts. They don't have to be necessarily linguists, right? Uh, they understand how to pay them. They have the, link, uh, the payment infrastructure in place. They know how to manage deadlines. I mean, project managers are rock stars in this industry. They're basically running the show often, right? They also often really have uh, great sales teams. They understand how to sell into the enterprise. Now, if you can do this for translation and localization, like you can do this for adjacent services as well. Some of the ones that I, that I just listed, right? And so, uh, and they're very nimble organizations that can often just go wherever uh, kind of, you know, revenue uh, would be generated. So I'm not really worried about uh, a lot of these, these LSPs, unless they, of course, just stick religiously to whatever they've done for the past 15 years. And at some point, some more nimble player will come in, but the, the the demand here is so vast. Um, if, if you know, if if the whole industry, for example, now there's multimedia, there's game testing. There's so many new opportunities that can be tapped. Uh, at, at the essence, as a, as a business leader, the challenge is really deciding like which one of the things you could probably deliver. Right. Do you want to choose? You can't do everything. Um, maybe TransPerfect or Lionbridge can, but even they have to maybe sometimes uh, focus a bit. Yeah. Now, yeah. so, um, so the. The extra, I want to say, uh, use of technology in our industry brings up another topic, which is everybody keeps talking about recently, is quality. Have we, and I'm just talking philosophically here because I don't know the statistics on it, to be honest with you. I'm looking, if you have any, have you seen any uh, data or what's your impression? I guess if there's no data, what's your impression on how the quality is faring out in the uh, use of technology and have the customer, generally who's the deciding factor of what quality is, um, in conjunction with the translator, obviously, um, have they started to forego a little bit of quality for the cheaper, more freely available kind of a translation? This is such a complicated uh, topic because you really have to look at the use case, the client, what they try to achieve with the content. If they go fully machine translated, or or maybe have a, like a you know an expert in the loop or a human in the loop, or I mean, there, we can just look at it maybe anecdotally. Um, 
for example, there there was um, the European Union recently, the European Commission decided to start publishing machine translated press releases on the website of the European Commission. Like those are actual pre- just raw machine translation, right? They called it, by the way, a little housekeeping announcement. Uh, that's what that's what that's what the guy called it when the spokesperson. So this to me is almost a bit kind of crossing the Rubicon into uh, a major global institution feeling very comfortable that the quality of machine translation is now good enough for them not to, you know, make a fool of themselves by publishing raw machine translation. They said, well, we're going to, you know, it's only up there for a few hours and then we're going to have the human translated or human edited version uh, uh, updated. But at the end of the day, people will look at whatever comes out first. Right. So, there is clearly a tendency of the customers to feel much more comfortable with raw output from a machine translation. Of course, it's highly trained, it's highly curated, it's it's got the right data, it's trained on that specific type of text from that specific institution. But generally, people feel more comfortable putting this out. That said, though, there's, as a reaction, I mean, there's also another part of the market, like the transcreation part of the market, where people are like, well, we're, we we can't automate this. We need human creativity. We want to have exceptionally, you know, targeted, customized, creative, uh, multilingual content out there. And, you know, let's work with, um, let's work with, you know, in, in, in country experts that are going to make sure the message comes across well, et cetera. So you have kind of that other extreme, uh, that's a market that's also growing. And for example, recently I spoke to uh, senior vice president of ICON, a, a big clinical research organization, and you know, and they have a huge internal team that's running um, that's running language operations, running translation operations, linguistic validation. Sure, they're using technology, but they need very specific human experts to make sure that the content that they're using in their regulatory environment is is one hundred percent accurate. So there's there's no major. Um, kind of driver for them to like cut corners and make it more efficient and put out more words. They just, it's, it's all about quality in that space. So again, it really tends, it, it depends which part of the industry you're looking at. Uh, but generally there's an awareness, uh, there's a tendency to feel more comfortable working with, you know, pure empty yeah. content. Yeah. And, you know, there was another anecdote. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, saw that one in Europe, uh, some lawyer in, uh, I think it was New York, uh, who is who brought a case to the court, and that case ended up being the whole thing was done by generative AI, and it ended up being you know <laughs> disbarred or something. I don't know what happened to the guy, but yeah, yeah. it was yeah. just uh, you can't rely. You be careful. You gotta yeah, be careful with this. I mean, this is a whole other thing with this generative AI with ChatGPT. Like, where is that going, right? And we we've been trying to unpack it. There's all these. I mean, now that you can basically at the push of a button, you can create multilingual content from scratch. That was not the case a year ago before ChatGPT. Like you could, but it wasn't really good. Now you can, instead of having to do a translation, you can just say, well, here's my prompt. Please write this in 10 language and and the thing will go off. Now, if you look carefully, it's not writing it from scratch fully. I think there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes machine translation going on inside the big black GPT box, right? Uh, but it's something that really wasn't that uh, wasn't that possible. So let's see where, where that is going. But yeah, I mean, generally, just there's just so much content out there, more and more and more, and the band for it is 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 just is, is really high. I feel like you know when somebody says uh, you know buys a Tesla and it's self-driving vehicle, and you know you're on a busy street somewhere, 
you don't want to probably, you, I don't know, maybe, maybe the car handles it, no problem, but your human, um, I want to say intuition would say, look, I'm not, I'm not using the self-driving on this, on this road. If it's a straight line highway and there's, you know, not many people cutting me off and, you know, traffic jams, et cetera, I might trust it. But in yeah. a downtown Toronto or downtown Zurich, I'm not pressing that button that says self-driving is I don't know what's going to come up here and I'm going to end up safe or not safe in that resultingness. It's like anything else. If you rely too much on the tech, uh, to, you know, for the sake of expediency or cost or whatever it is, it may end up costing you down the road because, you know, um, <laughs> one other anecdote I'll tell you about it from Canada is uh, um, the Bay. Uh, it's a big retailer here, Hudson Bay Company. Uh, they had a, um, a, a um, advertisement campaign in the Quebec region using, you know, the soccer term, you know, after the, uh, the, uh, the international soccer game was finished, uh, you know, GOAT, uh, greatest of all time. And it was actually translated to GOAT, four-legged GOAT. <laughs> so, which one is that? Which one? Wh- wh- into French or? French, Canadian, yeah. I was, I, was, I was just waiting for you to stop, and then I would give you the GOAT anecdote because I read it literally an hour ago. The same <laughs> happened on a Netflix show um, uh, with Serena Williams. Uh, in German. So, so the German subtitle, it's literally read it an hour ago. So it was a Netflix show. She was described as, the, so basically the, the sentence was the goat qualified for the second round. And then the subtitle, and I saw a screenshot, was literally the goat, they had a four-legged animal, qualified for the second round. And I mean, you know, it merited an article in, you know, the biggest Swiss, whatever, daily newspaper. And they pinked Netflix and Netflix was like, yeah, well, sorry. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, Looks like goat's a tough one to get right. Yeah, that's right. So um, <laughs> machine translation is not mach- is not being trained for the goats yet. <laughs> they actually said that it wasn't machine translation, which makes it even like a machine translation might not have gotten it right either. And and so, um, yeah, so I guess the point we're, we're, we're making, it's still a challenge, no matter how much technology you're using, right? Yeah, we use it use it with caution. That's that's the yeah. message. Use it with caution. Yes, it is available. Yeah, it is, it's out there. And, you know, we haven't touched on the security side of things, uh, the security aspect of your data. If, you're, if your data is uh, something like very confidential or confidential data of any sort, you know, there's a lot of risk in putting data out there um, in any way. Uh, so you got to keep, keep an eye on that one from a user perspective. Security element is like everybody's worried now about their data um, and, and certain types of data, not all their data. Obviously, there are certain data that you can put out there and that's no problem, but there are some types of data you probably don't want to put in a public space. Uh, and that's what it is. Those, those types of free machines out there. So, yeah, you don't want to use that at all. And I mean, that's uh, yeah, you want to sign up to a paid service. And then if it gets very critical, it's have, it has to be on-prem. I mean, with ChatGPT, there were some companies that totally shut it down now and just said, look, there, there's no way. Uh, yeah. And they're building their in, their internal models, which is, I guess, a huge market for the next five years. I mean, you know, in our previous life at CLS, we had some clients in, in Canada, right? Government clients where you couldn't, yeah. even, they wouldn't even send us the, the documents. We'd have to go there and like translate them. Oh, we still do that, by the way. We still do that, yeah, the There way. you go. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's like peak security right there. That's right. Yeah. No electronic transfer. <laughs> no. Um, so for uh, the next uh, part of our conversation is, we talk a little bit about where do you see, what's the vision here? What do you see a, um, what's the future for Slater? And what's because, and I know the future of Slater is tied into the future of the industry. Where do you see the future of the industry? And, you know, somebody corrected me the other day and I appreciate the correction is no more five-year vision. It's more like, 
three months, six months, that kind of thing. So it's a very short term <laughs> kind of a look down the road kind of thing. So any comments on that? Um, so for, for the industry as a whole, I mean, I'm, 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 I continue to be quite bullish for those that are able to ad- adapt to it. I mean, I don't want to make this like a commonplace statement, but I think right now is really a difficult time for many providers because they need to decide on the tech set. Like, am I just going to pick this tool and 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 build on on some of these technologies that are out there and I can sign up to, or am I going to build something myself? If I build something myself, that that enables me to service my clients better down the road. Am I betting on the right horse, or is this thing out of date next year? Is it going to be obsolete? And I bet on the wrong technology, right? So, uh, I, for now, my stance is there: kind of be a little cautious, maybe almost wait a bit, like observe but wait, and then you know when you see that something is actually. Um, might end up winning them bet on on that horse. So I also really encourage uh, LSPs to look beyond their kind of core business and see if there's any other areas, as I just said, that they could start expanding in and build expertise. Because, you know, you don't build like a gaming localization business overnight. I mean, language would know a thing about that too, right? I mean, you guys have been at this for for, for a long time and and successfully so. These things take, take a bit of time. Uh, for Slater, uh, we I think we can do just more of what we do now. I think we're quite well set up. We have a pretty powerful subscription offering and engine. Uh, like, it was not trivial to build like a subscription business that actually works. You would think that's easy in the times of Substack and, and all of these offerings, but actually to have a fairly complicated kind of information business website that people can subscribe to in different tiers was not trivial to build. And now we have it. So we can just load a lot more intelligence and information onto that platform and and sell it. Um, Yeah. We're going to go back to in conference, uh, in in person conferencing. Uh, I personally try to, um, I try to capture more of these emerging new companies, uh, which is not super easy. We actually launched a, the Slater 50 under 50 list uh, about four months ago, and we're going to do another one in 2024. That's 50 companies under 50 months. That's the best we could come up with. <laughs> so uh, so I'm, we're trying to capture these new emerging companies because there's so many, especially right now. There's so many. There's literally hundreds of new, what I call language AI companies that are using parts of this a very powerful kind of technological base that's coming now with these, you know, generative AI systems and, and are trying to make a product or a service on top of it. So there's, there's a lot of movement among these new companies, whether many of them might not succeed, but we're trying to capture some of that. So I'm really interested in covering these more, more actively than, than we do now, while kind of, of course, keep our core audience uh, informed and engaged. Yeah. That's right. And, and, you know, it doesn't like you, you bring up a very good topic. Uh, it doesn't need to mean the end of the uh, what we used to do in the translation world, right? It, it means the new beginning, transformation, and that's what business is all about. Business in general is about being agile, uh, being uh, you know have the ability to transform your business if there there's a brand new idea or a brand new uh, business idea that you probably need to venture into. And the lucky part of it is that we're not a manufacturing industry, right? We're not a uh, construction industry. We're not building ships. Um, yeah. we're, we're in the knowledge-based industry. It's like acquiring the skills and the know-how and putting a service around it. I mean, it should be, it, to me, it should be a straightforward kind of a proposition here. 
it is not that difficult to retool. And like, you know, I, I live not far away. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, you know, where I live in Toronto, we're not, I'm not far away from the Ford assembly plant where they assemble the cars. So the plant needs to shut down if they bring in a new model. So they're going to bring a new model to assemble in the, in the plant. They shut down the plant like for a couple of weeks to retool to, you know, to make sure that the, the plant is ready to accept the new model to be assembled. We're not in that industry. I mean, no. you things in parallel. Uh, it doesn't require a lot of investment in the grand scheme of thing. In our industry, like size-wise, I mean, it is not that big of an industry when you compare to other industries, to the health uh, and life sciences industry or the automotive industry. We're still in the, you know, the 60 kind of a billion dollar industry where meanwhile, you know, other industries are, you know, much, much, much larger than that. It's growing. There's a need for it. It is important. People can't probably process or do things without it. And that's a that's a great thing. I mean, if I go back two decades, I mean, I can recall times when people were saying, I don't need to translate that, but you're shipping your product to Germany. Uh, German, the German user probably cannot speak English or read English. They were satisfied by shipping a user manual with a machine to Germany uh, with no German translation. Today, that's not possible. So the industry and, you know, conversations such as this one have brought a huge awareness to either um, producers, suppliers, knowledge base, et cetera, that you cannot do business without having a component of languages in your business, which is great. And the whole technology uh, boom at the moment is going to make this a lot more important than expected on the part of the consumer, right? They're going to be like, well, what do you mean there is no version in my language what do you mean i that this website's not in my language it should be right i mean because it's possible and because costs have come down like per unit costs have come down and uh you know that means again volumes are going to go up and people's expectations in quality in a quality localized product uh, are, are going to continue to go up and you mentioned the asset component like lsps are quite asset light or very, very asset light. So it's very rare to see, for example, an LSP go bankrupt because you can always scale down or up no matter uh, how much demand there is, right? So you have to be, something really unexpected has to happen for you to- That's right, be, that's right. You know, go out of business with an LSP. Yeah, most of the cost that uh, an LSP business runs is controllable cost. Uh, their, you know, their fixed cost is not that much, to be honest with you, what, computers and, and networks? Um, and today, in today's world, I'm not sure if many people that probably still uh, gave up their offices or maybe some people still do have their offices, but they probably shrunk their square footage quite a bit because of, the, because of the remote working, right? And I'm yeah. assuming, you know, that entire COVID phase that we went through, that the industry um, has discovered that you probably do not need your talents to live within 15 kilometers of your office. They can live anywhere as long as they're connected to your network. Uh, so therefore, they saved a lot of money on office space and uh, the you, the employees or the contractor that they're working with, they don't need to go to an office. So they saved a whole bunch of frustration commuting. So, I mean, you kind of look back at the way it was like 15 years ago and you wonder like who thought it was a good idea like for an LSP to bring people into a centralized office, sit down you know, switch on a computer and then translate for eight or nine hours and they're like, oh, okay, bye everyone and go back home. It's like, why was this ever a good idea? Like, you know, unless you really appreciate having lunch with your colleagues, like there was no, there was almost zero upside in being at an office. 
and, and, and you're very limited. Like you either have to, you know, if, if let's say you establish a company in a certain district around the world, like you are looking for employees within the zone that they can drive to your office. Yeah. And this is very limiting in my opinion, yeah. uh, because what happened if the, is the, the skills that you're looking for are outside uh, the district that where you live or where you work? Uh, well, you can't hire those. So it's limiting factor to your business now, but you're seeing now people are, it doesn't matter where they are. They're hiring people across the globe uh, based on their needs, based on the skills, based on where they need them to be in terms of their business cycle. Uh, so if I need somebody who speak, uh, who translate to Jap- uh, Japanese, that's always been the case on a freelance basis, but on an internal basis, hiring them as a full-time employees, now you can hire them in Japan. They don't need to be in your office. Yeah. And you can, even you can even have a, uh, you don't even need to set up an office in these countries. Like there's these so-called employer of record, which we're also using at Slater uh, to hire people full-time. So you don't need to set up an office in Japan or in Korea or in Spain or wherever. You can just go through uh, one of these employers of record. I mean, the most popular ones would be like remote.com or deal.com. Uh, and then there's, there's a few others where you can just hire people. Like they get a full-time, I mean, they got all the social security, you know, a, a proper package and etc. You don't need to set up an office in some of these more complicated jurisdictions. And sure. uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's something that really didn't exist that that much 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, it's very uh, good to walk uh, through the progression of our industry with you and uh, connecting with you. I miss talking to you outside of the podcast or on the podcast. Um, it doesn't matter to me as long as I connect with uh, the people I worked with before, such as yourself. Uh, I'm talking to Mark in about an hour, you know, Mark uh, Schreiner, you, you, you know, Mark, right? Of course I know Mark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he also has a podcast. He has a couple of podcasts and uh, I want, I want I have the pleasure to be there, uh, I guess as well. So he was on mine too. So. Oh, was he? Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, I want to put a plug for uh, Slater Pond and Zurich that's coming up and uh, your podcast, which um, I subscribe to as well. Uh, Slater Pond, I think it's called. That's and- right. And um, SlaterCon in Zurich, um, for those who are listening to our show today, uh, please consider it. Please consider attending in, in person. It has been a while since this industry has gotten together in person, and it would be a great time to see each other in person, exchange some ideas and knowledge all together. At the end, I want to thank uh, Florian for being with me today. I really appreciate your time, Florian, and thanks for this lovely conversation uh, it's uh, it was nine o'clock this morning. It was a great start of my day, and now I feel energized for the rest of the weekend. Uh, thanks so much for being on the call on on the show with me. Thanks for taking part of this conversation. I invite you anytime. Uh, Mikasa is Sukasa. You know you can drop by anytime and uh, tell the story if you like. Uh, although we're young uh, channel, we're uh, almost forty thousand views on YouTube, and wow. it's great. so uh, we only started a few months ago uh, in end of March. So it's, 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 it's gaining traction and I am happy about that. And, and it gives me pleasure to be able to do things I really like to do is to talk to professionals such as yourself who share the passion for the industry. And it doesn't matter who at the end of the day, what's the intent cause of this. It's, I think it's positive. I think it's sending a very positive message to everybody, but because we're sharing information, we're sharing knowledge. And at the same time, we're encouraging people to do things a little differently to be successful. So I appreciate your time with me this morning. Thanks so much for having me, Robin. And for the audience, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our channel and look us up on all your favorite podcast uh, streaming uh, networks. We are we exist on all of them. 
And uh, thank you again for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. I appreciate it.